This is Super Women in Science. I'm Corden, and I'm a music therapist. And I'm Nicole. I'm a neuroscientist. We will be discussing the past, present, and future of women and non-binary people in science. Highlighting a variety of scientific endeavors, as well as issues in science today. Welcome to a super exciting bonus episode. So about a year ago, now, because we're really bad at like delivering on deadlines, we did a super fun live event with SciComm Toronto in Toronto, Ontario, and we got to interview one of my best friends from high school, Emily Morris. Mm-hmm. And so this was a really fun event because uh, it actually we recorded our podcast at the same time that people were knitting uh, women in science. So that appeals to all of our loves, knitting and women in science. Uh, and yeah, it was a lot of fun and we look forward to doing more live events. Uh, so we hope that you guys enjoy this special little bonus. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hi. <laughs> My name's Corden. This is Nicole. We are Super Women in Science podcast. So we're going to talk while you knit, I think. <laughs> I have some background noise for you guys. Yeah. Uh, and so we are a Women in Science podcast. So it fits uh, with what you guys are doing today. And we're really excited to do some knitting afterwards as well. Yeah. So to start, we thought we would introduce you to our podcast. So, um, like I said, it's Superwoman in Science. We just launched in June. Mm-hmm. We just posted our ninth episode last week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, still growing. Yeah. Still starting. Yeah. It's so, well. the aim of our podcast is to highlight the past, present, and future of women in science. So, we talk about um, current women in science, women from the history. Um, that you don't really know about. And we also talk about organizations that help promote the future of women in science. Mm-hmm. And so we also discuss relevant topics and kind of our experience as women scientists. Uh, and we just want to also amplify the voices of other women to create this supportive community of women in science. Um, yeah. So, so far we've talked to um, seven different women scientists. So we've talked to geologists, kinesiologists, marine biologists, um, climate experts yes. from that went all the way up to Antarctica, which was very cool. Up to Antarctica. Up to Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clearly not the climate expert. Um, a uh, computer scientist, mm-hmm. psychologist, yeah. and we've also talked about lots of different uh, organizations too. So Brain Reach North was this neuroscience um, organization for indigenous communities that goes in rural Quebec. Um, Black Girls Code out of Chicago, Moms Who Code out yes. of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So today, while you guys are knitting, we're just going to share uh, kind of what an episode would be like. We're going to share a story about a past lady. We're going to interview our friend here. uh, And then we also have an organization that we're going to chat about. So up first, we have our story. Yeah, so every week we read out of Rachel Ignatovsky's book, Women in Science. Um, We'll definitely pass it around when we're done because everyone should get a look at it. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful book. If you haven't heard of it already, it's gorgeous. Uh, The illustrations are wonderful and it highlights a bunch of unsung heroes Mm -hmm. of science. And some that you also are familiar with. Also, I think almost everyone from this week is in there. Yeah, that's That's true. Yeah, so um, today we're going to read about Esther Lederberg, who is a microbiologist. So Esther Lederberg always knew how to charm a room. 
Her smarts and humor made her an excellent storyteller and allowed her to get her ideas heard when they might otherwise have been ignored. She was born in 1922 in the Bronx into a very poor family. She went on to study genetics at Stanford University, where she got her master's degree in 1946. That same year, she married Joshua Lederberg, a molecular biologist. Esther earned her doctorate from the University of Wisconsin, where she and Joshua would work together to study bacteria. While peering into her microscope, Esther noticed that some of the E. coli bacteria cells had nibbled a nibbled appearance. Esther discovered a new type of bacteriophage, a virus that infects bacterium called lambdaphage. <clears throat> this virus acted differently. It did not immediately kill its host bacteria. Lambdaphage would hide out inside the bacteria's DNA until its host was about to die. Then it would spread. Studying lambdaphage has given us a better understanding of RNA, DNA, and diseases like herpes and tumor viruses. Esther also created a new way of studying mutations in bacteria called replica plating. Before this, studying mutations took a very long time. She used a piece of velvet to stamp bacteria into new petri dishes containing different types of chemicals. It was easy to see which mutated bacteria lived or died. This new method allowed her research team to study bacterial resistance to antibiotics and prove that bacteria can mutate spontaneously. They also found that some bacteria were resistant to antibiotics even before having contact with them. This, uh, this work led to Joshua's winning of the Nobel Prize in 1958. Just Joshua. Just Joshua. Uh, however, in his award speeches, he never thanked Esther for her research. Uh, they returned to Stanford together in 1959, but divorced in 1966. She continued her work at the university and became the director of the Plasmid Re Reference Center. She loved her work so much that she continued her research, even after she officially retired. So that is the story of Esther Lederberg. Yeah. Hey, Linda Science. And we were talking in the car. Um, that there's a couple themes in here that are similar to a lot of the other stories that we read about um, women in science to be recognized had to be married to another prominent scientist. Mm -hmm. um, also, their husbands put their names on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, again, very unfortunate in that her work led to a Nobel Prize that she was not uh, recognized for. Yeah. So we're glad that we're learning about her today. Mm -hmm. All righty. Yeah. So now we'll move on to our interview part. So for our interview, we are so lucky to have my friend Emily Morris here. She's a master's student in molecular science at Ryerson University. So thanks for coming, Emily. Thanks for having me. Yay. You can put that by her. I'll talk loud. Okay. <laughs> so to start every interview, we always ask our guests one question um, to try and dispel the myth about a scientist. So Emily, do you wear a lab coat? Yes. Yes. That's cool, though. That's okay. Scientists okay. do wear lab coats. Yes. Yeah. I don't wear it all the time. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing my field work, I'm usually wearing dirty clothes, but oh. a lab coat in the lab. Yeah. Nice. That's very cool. I'm excited to hear about that field work. Um, <laughs> so can you explain for us your field of science? What is molecular science? So my degree doesn't really describe the sort of research I do. I kind of fall under a big, broad title of molecular science. What I mostly look at is plant ecology, which is looking at the interactions between plant species, um, the interactions with plants with their environment, um, and finally the effects that can move up the food chain as a consequence of that. 
But then more specifically, I look at fatty acids, and that's where the molecule part comes in. <laughs> so fatty acids, if you don't know, are a nutrient that you find in food, and they generally help with your heart, lung, and brain health. Um, and then my third facet of my research is climate change. So how does climate change sort of interweave into all of that? Um, and again, another definition, uh, climate change is an increase in temperature and extreme weather events as the result of carbon emissions. Mm. Very cool. <laughs> so what is like your day in a life then? How do you weave all that into what you're actually doing day to day uh, for your master's research? So I spend a lot of time in the lab. Cool. I'm growing grasses in an incubator. Okay. So it kind of looks like a fridge and I'm setting it at different climate estimates to see what the grasses will do in terms of their fatty acid composition. And then I'm basically plucking them, grinding them, and extracting their fatty acids. Cool. So a lot of lab work and writing at the same time. <laughs> That's really cool. So you can see the difference then between like the really cold grass and the really hot grass and whatever? Yeah, so the cold ones actually just visually grow slower and don't mm -hmm. grow as big. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't looked at the fatty acid composition yet, but okay. we're expecting that the healthy fatty acids will be decreasing in the climate conditions, so the warmer conditions. Mm -hmm. cool. So what got you first interested in science? I actually, in my second year of undergrad, took a plant physiology class, which I found super interesting because you're looking at all the different processes that plants grow through because mm -hmm. plants can't run away from their threats like we can, so they have to come up with all kinds of different strategies to combat them just being a rooted plant. So That's really cool. I learned a lot of different different interesting sort of strategies they have. So for example, there's a plant called doll's eyes, which has evolved to look like eyeballs, so nothing will eat it because it's creepy. Um, and then some plants have evolved to be able to speak through chemicals. So I say speak, but they're not actually talking. It's just sending chemicals to each other so they can communicate. So I thought plants were a lot more cool than people. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what got me into plant ecology. That is very cool. That's really awesome. So... Specifically with your project, what motivates your work? What led you to this specific question that you're researching? Yeah, so I always really liked the discovery part of science, but I wanted something that was applicable to what we're dealing with today. And obviously climate change is a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like that science is all about improving our lives as humans, so I really wanted to be a big contributor to that. And so I was looking for a project that dealt with climate change and human nutrition. Mm. That's awesome. Um, so in your work <clears throat> from your undergrad in biology, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so your undergrad in biology through to the end of your master's, has there been like a theory or theorist or person that has been really influential for your work? So obviously I'm hugely guided by the climate estimates that we have. So mm -hmm. there are different scenarios produced by the intergovernment intergovernmental panel on climate change um, and they've predicted three different scenarios based on the levels of greenhouse gas emissions so the first one is the best case scenario meaning we stop emitting today um, and that's expecting a three degree increase in coming years um, the intermediate estimate is four degrees and then finally the worst case scenario meaning we continue to emit greenhouse gases is eight degrees so that's sort of guiding what I choose for my project mm -hmm. conditions. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of an influential person, currently my committee member on my master's uh, committee mm -hmm. 
is Richard Bazinet, and he is a professor at U of T, but he's also the Canadian Research Chair in Brain Lipid Metabolism. So he kind of ties the whole package together. So he looks at fatty acids in animals and humans. Mm -hmm. So I'm covering the plant part, and then he's kind of finishing the story for me, um, looking at the different fatty acids that are important in the brain and the role they'll play in the development of neurological diseases like Alzheimer's. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so it seems like he has been a big guiding uh, person in your career so far. Uh, do you have any other mentors, or how have mentors shaped your academic and research experience? So it goes back to my undergrad thesis supervisors. So the first one was Dr. Lonnie Arson, and he was a professor at Queens when I was doing my undergrad. And then the newly uh, PhD recipient, Dr. Amanda Tracy, was... Ooh. Also, uh, my supervisor, and she was working on her PhD at the time, but she just got it, mm -hmm. so that's pretty exciting. Um, and they really provided me with a strong base in plant ecology because they're both brilliant plant ecologists, and they <laughs> taught me about research methods and all kinds of things you can do with plants. But on top of that, they were extremely kind to me. They were always open to my ideas and helped me in any way they could, which I've discovered what is you know most important in supervisors is them wanting the best for you. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of grad school, I've had a different mentor. Um, it's a PhD candidate at Ryerson named Kuri Shukla, and she's helped me navigate the world of grad school and obviously, again, another really talented female scientist um, who has helped me to learn how to navigate grad school and science in general. Awesome. awesome. Thanks. <laughs> um, so if someone wants to get into molecular science or plant ecology, what, what kind of path do they have to take? So in terms of plant ecology and fatty acids and stuff like that, it's a pretty specific niche, so you would probably have to do a degree in science, um, probably get a background in molecules, and then probably pursue grad school. But in terms of climate change, the options are much more broad. Um, you could work in science or environmental management, policy, and I've even seen some people in business and philosophy working with climate change. Mm -hmm. And in that case, you probably want to focus on making a lot of connections with the experts and the professionals in the field. Yeah, that's really cool. It's especially in today's climate, like pun unintended, yeah. <laughs> there's so many applicable things that really having that science uh, evidence-based background mm -hmm. you can take into any field. Yeah, and likewise can come in, I guess, yeah. um, come from that background. So what would you say that your hopes are for the future of women in your field, so plant ecology or molecular sciences? Mm -hmm. Well, just in general, I find, as anyone in academia, it's hard to make your voice heard, but especially as a female in this male-dominated um, section of science. Um, so just keep making sure your ideas are heard. Keep pushing to make sure people are listening, especially if you know you're right. Um, <laughs> women in science are hugely talented and brilliant, but we just have to make sure other people are seeing that. Um, and then one more thing I would say is sometimes when you're looking for collaborations, there may be a little bit of a lack of respect between the collaborators. So make sure you're choosing your collaborations wisely um, and make sure you have a single common goal. Great. So, um, is there anywhere people can follow you on social media? Do you have Twitter? I don't have Twitter. Um, if you want people to follow you. If not, you can say, no, thanks. No, I don't think, I don't, okay. I don't use my Twitter. That's I have Instagram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I post science pictures on it sometimes. Do you want to plug it? Hashtag SciFam. 
Oh, I don't even know what my Instagram is. Ah. One second. Yeah. So if we want to follow you on Instagram, <laughs> where would we go to? My name on Instagram is Emily Susan Morris. Emily Susan Morris. All one word, lowercase. <laughs> nice. I think I already follow you. You do. I don't. I want to see them plant ecology pics. Um, Beautiful. I did have a follow-up. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so I do have a question for, as a climate science researcher, uh, so you mentioned that those estimates were your... Um, were influential for you. I'm always curious, as somebody who works in climate science, like... How do you maintain optimism as a researcher? Like, is it when this is everything that you're you're studying and you're you're really in this? Mm-hmm. Is it is it difficult? And how do you kind of get through that? I guess of like I don't know if you're constantly researching that the yeah, world is terrible. I know. <laughs> um, I, I try to mean like I I just look at all of the people who are working towards mitigating climate change, mm-hmm. and although there are people who still think it's made up, there are lots of people who don't, and lots of people who are working towards producing a better world and lowering our greenhouse emissions. So, for example, I went to a conference at the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, and that was a specifically um, climate change-focused conference, and that gave me a lot of hope because there was policymakers there and scientists so they were trying to bridge that gap between the scientists and the actual policies so there are there are people working towards that so I try to just think of that when I'm doing my research and not so much the yeah gloom and doom yeah exactly (laughs) awesome do you have any other questions so is there anything else that you wanted to talk about and you didn't get the chance to um no really I just I would like people to really think about climate change a lot more because in Canada it's really easy to ignore this because it's cold and people are saying well it can't be climate change if it's cold right and we're not getting the earthquakes and the tornadoes and things that are happening as a result of climate change so it's easy to pretend it's not happening so I just would like to bring it to the forefront of people's minds yeah perfect thanks so much for coming yes thank you for having me enjoy your knitting thanks Perfect. Is it still going? Yep. Sweet deal. Okay. Um, do you want to do it? Sure. I can do it. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. So we have one last segment, uh, which is when we talk about an opportunity for the next generation, uh, opportunity or organization. Mm-hmm. So today we've chose to talk about something uh, specific to GTA, uh, and it's called Manulife Kids Science. So Manulife Kids Science was started in 2006 by Dr. Lisa Robinson, who is a clinician and scientist at Sick Kids Hospital. So its main focus is reaching youth who are at risk or those who don't have equi- uh, equitable access to interactive science experiences and good quality science learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the participants that this is uh, uh focused at, that's not the word I want, um, so include patients at sick kids, uh, youth leading, living in priority neighborhoods in the GTA, and also youth from remote uh, Ontario communities. Uh, and since it started, it's actually reached over 15,000 kids, which is really cool. Yeah. So they run a whole lot of different programming. Um, so this includes career workshops for high school students. So um, high school students who are interested in medicine, nursing, and engineering can go to the workshops to find out how to get on the right path. Lab visits, science extravaganzas, 
um, and science workshops where volunteer scientists go into the classrooms, uh, so classrooms from grades 2 to 12, uh, and give interactive science experiences in a variety of topics, uh, so including the human body, space, uh, animation, uh, CSI, and the sound of music. So really a wide variety of different science endeavors. Um, very cool. They also have speaker bureaus, which is where volunteer um, volunteer scientists go into schools and give presentations on their jobs and their enthusiasm in science. So this can be doctors, nurses, engineers, students, scientists from other fields fields as well. And there's also the Manulife TV show. And so this is a TV show for the patients at SickKids, right? Yes. Yeah, so it um, runs on their closed circuit um, yeah. televisions and during the day the kids can get the science kit and follow along on the TV. Oh, that's really cool. So it's yeah. like an educational science program. Um, and there's mentorship programs for high school students. Uh, so this is a huge thing. It's very cool, run out of sick kids. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about Manulife uh, uh, Kids Science, um, you can check out uh, online at the Sick Kids website. Uh, there's info, info on it. Yeah. Can I plug something related to that? Oh, 100%, yeah. yes. <laughs> so there's two organizations that I'm a part of at Ryerson. The first one is Let's Talk Science. Oh, I've heard about Let's mm -hmm. Talk Science. So what Let's Talk Science does is extremely similar to that, where you have volunteers in undergrad, graduate school, sometimes professors, and they go to grades ranging from, you know, grade 4 to grade 12, and they teach workshops on space and plants and all kinds of stuff. So there's that organization, and then for something more accessible, there's actually a um, website called Planting Science, which I'm a mentor on, so they invite graduate students and professors to mentor high school students via the internet. So you're talking online on a discussion forum and helping kids with their experiments in high school. So I'm actually mentoring schools in New York and Chicago and all in the okay. U.S. So it's and what was that called? That was Planting Science? Planting Science. Planting Science.org, Planting Science. I believe, is the That's website. Cool. And then Let's Talk Science should be available through the university. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Thank mm -hmm. you. Helping kids learn science. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Next gen. Science teacher at heart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, alrighty. So that's typically our uh, podcast show. It has those three segments. Four segments, I guess. Discussion, three. past lady, intro, oh, next four. gen. Four. Um, so thank you guys for listening while you knit. Uh, I hope that it was fun to learn. Um, you can find our podcast. Um, to you. So Facebook, you can search Superwoman in Science Podcast. Twitter, we're at Superwoman Sci. Instagram, we're at Superwoman, Superwoman Sci. Sci. And our website, superwomaninscience.wordpress.com. Mm -hmm. And we're on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher, so you can just search Superwoman in Science mm -hmm. Podcast. Yeah. And all of our episodes are also available on our website with a full transcript. Uh, if you don't feel like or don't want to listen, <laughs> um, you can check that out as well. And all the show notes for what we talk about in the episode are posted on there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thanks. And we're excited to start knitting. Yep. Join you guys. <laughs> thank you. I can't stop it. So thank you so much to Emily Morris for coming out and knitting and talking with us. Emily is currently working and soon she's going to be starting teacher's college and she's going to be a really great, passionate science teacher. So we're really grateful that we got to talk to her. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was really fun. And thank you uh, to everyone who invited us and listened to us at this live event. And if you're interested in having us come to a live event, we are very interested. (laughs) So send us an email. Before you get to the end of the episode, we just wanted to let you know about something really exciting. Former guest and friend of the podcast, Vanessa Sung, has teamed up with a lot of other amazing women in science in Canada to start a fundraiser to bring Angela Cyani's book, Inferior, to every high school in three Canadian provinces. So we talked with Angela Cyani about the book and about herself in episode 11. So go back and listen if you want more information. But we will put the link to the GoFundMe in the description of this episode. It is a great last minute gift because it is gift giving season. So if you are looking for something to give to a family member or a friend who is a woman in science or loves women in science and supports science, and especially science for young people as well, we really suggest that you go and do that. So thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays. So thank you all for listening to this little bonus episode of the Super Women in Science podcast. Just a reminder that we're reading from Rachel Liknotovsky's book, Women in Science. And a big thank you again to our guest, Emily Morris. And SciComm Toronto for hosting us. The second half of our second season is about to start. So make sure to follow us on all of our social media places so that you know when our new episodes come out. We're on Facebook at Superwoman in Science Podcast, on Twitter at Superwoman Sci, and on Instagram at Superwoman Science. And so a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes can be found on our website, superwomeninscience.wordpress.com. Thanks so much, everyone. Hope you enjoyed. Bye. Alrighty, I'm recording. Sorry, I have to burp again. Sorry, I had to do a weird stretch where I weird weird (laughs) guttural groan. (laughs) These will be fun bloopers. (laughs) Um, I'm going to pour some more tea. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? Just a second, I'm pouring tea and it's definitely going to get picked up. Mm -hmm. I heard it. It was like ASMR. Does it sound like pee? Uh, Maybe, I don't know. I I knew it was tea, so. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry for making that (laughs) weird. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm shaking everything because I'm moving my body. One second. <clears throat> Get your body on control. How do I find myself? <laughs> I almost just went like really morning news show. Like, so wasn't that great, Nicole? Wasn't that just great? Oh my god, I had tea in my mouth and I was <laughs> not, not prepared for that. <laughs> that was a spit take.